Hi, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Punished Podcast. Uh, my name is David Silbert. I'm the lead editor of The Punished Backlog. Um, a little bit of background info for those just tuning in, whether you have come from Weekend to Dave's, our previous podcast, or you're br brand new for Punished Podcast, we're excited to have you. Um, in the past, I would say the past several years, I had hosted a podcast called Weekend to Dave's very cheeky name uh, because I thought I'd be recording on weekends. That didn't really work out. I thought I'd be recording it weekly or monthly. That also did not work out. But we're really excited to be rebranding the podcast or relaunching a brand new podcast that is entirely dedicated to the Punish Backlog uh, readership and listenership. Uh, and so we're really excited to kick things off. Joining us for this inaugural episode, our fellow uh, Punish Backlog editors, Amanda Tian and Sam Martinelli. How are you two doing today? I'm doing great. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I've had a really good time recording the last two Weekend at Dave's episodes and really pumped that we're going to have some more time to talk about video games and, and probably other things, uh, knowing us, but mostly video games. And I'm also very glad to be here as someone who has been, I don't know, a three or four time guest on Weekend at Dave's. Uh, I'm glad to be part of the transition to uh, a new world order. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Um, Amanda is an excellent, uh, graphic editor, uh, graphic designer and has been showing us the, the drafts that we have in the works for, for the new podcast. And they just look stellar. I, I oh, thank time you. Like, they all look great. And I'm like, I would wish we could choose all of them and maybe we will uh, <laughs> all the assets across the site, but I'm really excited for, it just, it, it feels like it's time. Like, you know, Weekend of Days, it started as a solo podcast for me to just kind of work on. I'm a little bit of a meanderer. I like to talk a lot. And so I think that was my way of kind of getting out there and putting my voice. I'm, I'm very comfortable putting my writing out in front of audiences, but talking in front of audiences is a, is a different matter. But I love, you know, I, I love the podcast format. There are so many great people in the industry that that put out really awesome podcasts. I, I know you two listen to, to a lot. Um, and I love on my you know commutes to work every now and again listening to a good podcast so it's it's going to be really cool to open this up to a wider audience uh on the site but also to other writers and contributors for the punish backlog so hopefully the, the way that this will be structured we're still figuring out the logistics but um we'd love to bring on kind of like a revolving chair of uh guests and, and hopefully hosts to talk about a wide range of topics uh, we'll dig into uh, today's topic in just a second, but I also wanted to give the floor, Amanda and Sam, if you want to just go back around and give a little bit of an intro into who you are uh, in general, what you do on the site, favorite maybe uh, pieces that you've done in the past, and just feel free to plug your your own stuff, whatever's going on in your lives. Yeah. Um, so I'm Sam. I've been writing at the Punished Backlog for like five and a half, maybe six years. My favorite game of all time is The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, and other favorites of mine are usually Nintendo games, with a few exceptions, like The Witcher 3. In terms of the stuff that I like to write about, I do a lot of, I like to do a lot of deep dives, um, usually in the form of what I write called punished notes, where I'll either pick a game or pick a number of games and just kind of give all of my thoughts that I've ever had about these things and try to tie them up together as much as I can. But yeah, it's us uh, okay the occasional review but but mostly that kind of thing yeah and like uh, david said i'm amanda and i started writing for the punish backlog a couple of years ago mostly because i'm a big 
uh, RPG role-playing game fan. And I had pre-ordered, which <laughs> I think was the last game I ever pre-ordered because I was so frustrated. I had pre-ordered Cyberpunk 2077 and was so just furious with it like bugs aside i thought it was a very flawed game and it made me crazy and so i wrote this you know furious essay about it and i knew i know sam irl in real life and i was like you write for the site like i need to i just need to share these feelings like do you think i could you know apply to the site and and share this essay and and sam introduced me to david and you know kind of been off to the races since then so um, I still love role-playing games. I have not given Cyberpunk 2077 another shot, but maybe it's time. I don't know. I'm hearing good things, and I know there's getting sort of a big DLC update, but my, my favorite games are are games like that. Like, I love Mass Effect. Um, the Mass Effect series is really important to me emotionally um, as well as intellectually and just as a joy. I, I love those sort of sweeping stories and characters and, um, you know, fun action. I also... My, I guess my favorite things that I write about for the site, there's two lists that I'm, I'm very proud of that I love. One is some of the greatest detective and mystery video games of all time and, and kind of why mystery works as a video game. And then another one I wrote for games to get your mom or other parental figure into gaming. Um, and I'm very proud of the work I did on both of those, especially highlighting various indie games and um, kind of sharing why that what those games do that's special within their their genre and their audience so yeah excited to chat awesome and yeah my name's david i've been writing for the site with the site uh for a little over six years now and uh it's just been a lot of fun seeing a lot of different writers come and go um and seeing all the excellent like wide variety of takes and discussions and um, group articles we've had so many we're if we're not there yet, we're about to cross the 500 blog threshold, which I just think is incredible for the fact that this is, you know, just like a side passion for for us, um, those who write for the site. And it's been a really great like outlet for me personally. Um, I remember using it like one of my favorite pieces was an op-ed I did years ago about Fortnite. Um, not because I think it's particularly well-written or at the time I thought I did an okay job with it, but it's that kind of piece that was the first time I felt myself being very vulnerable, um, about my own experiences just growing up and, you know, tying that to kind of the magic of video games and going back and reading something like that. I'm always very impressed by, you know, how keeping up with the site over the years has helped my writing grow. Um, being able to check in on things and think to myself, oh, that was pretty good if I you know, forgot about a piece I'd written or, oh, mm, I would change how I wrote that. And, you know, sometimes like if I want to brush something up, um, maybe I will just to make it sound and flow a little better for for, you know, future uh, viewers that happen upon it. But it's been an awesome journey so far. Grateful to have both of you along. And I'm excited to to start up this new adventure with uh, Punish Podcast. Yeah, can I give it two two quick notes? One, David, that was so wholesome and lovely and so true about being able to like reflect on our skills and growing. Also, David is failing to mention that he, he started Punish Backlog. Like he's written for six years because he made it, <laughs> like, which is very impressive yeah. and is a he's a wonderful leader. And it's been really great to that you've created this opportunity for a lot of other people, um, Sam and I included, to be able to practice our skills of writing about games and reviewing. I mean getting the first time or the first time that I got a comp code for a game through punch backlog. And it just felt so special to be able to say, I, 
I love gaming. I love this hobby. And someone is trusting this site and me to play it for free and to give my thoughts on it and to help share it with a wider audience. And, and that felt like a really beautiful role that writers can have in, in supporting games, not just writing them, but writing about them. So thank you for that opportunity. And um, yeah, just David made the site. So good, good on David. <laughs> Wholesome right back at you. That's awesome. Uh, cool. Well, I know uh, Sam's checking his watch. Let's. I'm going to make sure that we uh, hop right in. I'm not checking anything. Good. You're good? Sweet. All right. I should make assumptions. I'm sorry, Sam. Um, we've got an awesome first episode lined up with you. I had nothing to do with the planning for this. This is entirely uh, Sam and Amanda doing a lot of the prep work. And um, Sam's going to be the one hosting this one. Uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, remakes. You know, maybe it's better... Sam, why don't I why don't I hand it off to you to explain the structure for this one? Because I just don't want to. I think words you do, you're going to do a better job articulating it than me. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so I wanted to explore in our first topic something that's both happening a lot this year and something that's really a big part of gaming and has been for for decades and will continue to be, which is uh, remakes and remasters. Uh, they seem to come out all the time, but even more frequently now. Uh, some examples this year, we have Metroid Prime remaster, we have the Resident Evil 4 remake, we have the Super Mario RPG remake coming up soon. And it's just something that's always a topic of, of thought and conversation by people in the community. Uh, and by the community, I mean uh, just people like, people like us who play way too many video games. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I thought, as a part of discussion, I want to just talk to all, both of you about First of all, how do you define a remake versus a remaster? Uh, and how do you differentiate that between what I might call a reboot or a reimagining? So uh, let's go with Amanda first. Uh, what are some of the differences to you? Good question. Um, I would say a remaster feels like an older game that's come out that they want to update for a newer platform, um, really just to be able to sell it on that or make it available. Maybe there's, it usually it seems to me like there's some graphical updates just sort of judged up for that. Um, but a remake would be a significant re-envisioning of the original with maybe some new assets, gameplay character, maybe some other significant plot or design choices. Um, I'm thinking, it's funny, as you were talking, Sam, I was thinking about how there's this these waves of just making these Disney movies again, that like animated movies where it's like, okay, now it's the human beauty and the beast. Now it's human little mermaid, you know? And, and I don't feel like there's been a, a massive clamoring, but I think there's, um, you know, and there's also remakes of television shows. I mean, all these re reboots too, which is a separate thing, but I do think that video games, similar to those other artistic cultural mediums, they're going through that phase of looking like, what's a sure thing? What do we know that people already love and are willing, are going to buy, are going to give a chance? And I think part of the reason we're seeing so many remasters and remakes is that they're sort of known quantities. Um, so that's that's at least how I define a remaster versus the remake. Um, remaster feels much more like it's the same thing, but just accessible. Maybe I play a lot of Ace Attorney and I was thinking of Phoenix Wright on iOS as a good example of, of a remaster. Like you can play it now on that. You don't have to go and get a Nintendo DS. Um, but a remake would be the significance between Final Fantasy 7 and Final Fantasy 7 Remake. David, what's your uh, reply to that? I do want to get back at some point, Amanda. I want to put a pin in uh, sort of the cyclicality of, of media, but... <laughs> I know that was a big subtopic I tucked in there. 
Well, no, it's a good one. Uh, but Dave, I want, I want to get your, to your definitions. Yeah. So if we don't all, I know based on the show notes, we don't all have quite the same Not definitions quite. for all of these. So what do you think? Yeah, I think generally I agree with what Amanda says. Um, I would say one, plus one or plus a thousand. A remaster to me is a, a developer or studio uh, updating either the, usually the, visually certainly but also maybe mechanically control wise just brushing mm -hmm. up like airbrushing a game to make it uh play well or accessible to a modern audience but maintaining the same look and feel is kind of how i look at a remaster so a, a good example is metroid prime remastered right i know that um retro studios are if you know the studio that did that i think it was retro that that was responsible for the the remaster updating the controls for like to actually support dual analog setup so it's like less clunky than we probably all remember the original metroid prime but it still ultimately looks and feels the same um as the base game and usually right updating existing assets not usually like doing it all from the ground up uh whereas a remake i think definitely you're definitely making some new assets maybe up updating some but generally kind of building everything from the ground up and usually um, some kind of reimagining of the visuals, the mechanics, maybe even the story. Uh, and I use a good example, I think of that as Wind Waker HD. I think some people would argue that might be a remaster. I, I think of it as a remake because um, it, I think the look and feel of that game, or at least the look of it is, is quite different from the GameCube game if you look at the two side by side. Um, I think something like the Dead Space remake, that's another example where it kind of toes the line, I think, definitionally it's like well not much about the gameplay has changed it just looks a whole lot prettier um but the reason i i kind of put those squarely in the remake category is when i think of a reboot and i think final fantasy 7 remake is a really really interesting game to think about through this entire lens square enix like intentionally called it remake in the title and this is i'm gonna delve into a, some light spoilers so if you haven't played this game maybe skip ahead a, a minute or so uh, this is a game where in the title it says remake and then you, by the time you finish the game, you realize it's not quite a remake because a lot of the story got completely reimagined. And so I don't know if I'd call it a, a little bit of a reboot or like like a parallel game, um, but that's very much a game where the I think there's a lot of self-awareness into the the original look and feel of that game. And not only did it get a visual and totally gameplay overhaul, but its story plays to the fact that you're a you're aware of that previous uh, title. So um, I think it's a really interesting line. I think it's easier to, to, to uh, codify maybe the difference between a remaster and a remake, but the line I think gets kind of blurred when we think of uh, what certain game developers are doing um, with remakes. Like, I think there's almost this, again, self-awareness on the part of Square Enix when they created Final Fantasy VII Remake, knowing tongue-in-cheek wise, the first game is going to be called a remake, but then we're going to pull the rug out from other people and then uh, from players and then when this you know the sequel comes out rebirth they're really leaning into the fact that this is a whole new experience yeah and i i, I do agree with you that i do put final fantasy 7 remake kind of in its own category uh that the word remake is kind of misleading but uh when i think about the differences i actually do disagree with you i put wind waker hd as a remaster mm -hmm. um because it feels to me like even though they made some tweaks sure. it is still even like the cutscenes are, they go the same way. Right. All the audio is the same. Uh, and cause that's, that was for me. A remaster is by and large the same game, but I guess more polished, a new coat of paint, mm -hmm. but it is like the, the skeleton is exactly the same. Um, 
Whereas for a remake, it's got to rebuild the game from the ground up and or reimagine the original in some way. Mm. So uh, the examples I use are, are Halo, uh, Halo 1 Anniversary Edition. You can literally press a button that toggles between the new and the old right. or new from, from 2011, but the new graphics and the old graphics, but the actual gameplay is exactly the same. Right. That's really interesting that they chose to include that as an option. I actually love that they did that, um, especially they did the same thing with the Halo 2 yeah. uh, remaster uh, or remake. Well, that, that, that felt like a little more like a remake, but this still like I get to see side by side how different it is. That's uh, delightful. I got I got tricked once. At one point, I'm like, "Man, Halo One holds up really well." And then I accidentally pressed the button, and I'm like, "Oh, this looks so weird." <laughs> uh, actually, the old graphics look better, but that's a different uh, discussion. Yeah, but like the, the remake, like Resident Evil Four, which came out this year, right. it's like it has the same outline as the original, but everything else is different. They have new voice acting, new music, new controls, and like the world is designed around a new set of controls. That right. to me is a remake. Um, and you know, I want to go back to like, you could take, there's been every single Zelda game, not every single, but most Zelda games have been re-released or, or touched up or, or yeah. HDified at some point. The one that's actually a remake is Link's Awakening in 2019 because mm-hmm. that is what I said before. It's, even though it is very faithful to the original, new graphics, they completely redid the soundtrack. They added a whole like dungeon creator mode, which is not very good, but that's also a different discussion. Uh, they changed everything up, even though it is very faithful. Hmm. Uh, and so that to me is what separates it for something like a Wind Waker HD or even like Ocarina of Time on 3DS, where that's, that is kind of an overhaul, but it's also like so similar. It's, 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 it looks different and feels different, but like I didn't feel like I was fundamentally playing a different game. Whereas with Link's Awakening, it's like if you go back to the Game Boy version, it's very different. Totally. Well, where then would you all say does Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 fall into that? That's a remake for me. It's, because It's a remake for you? Well, here's why. Um, this is kind of a granular difference, but like there are skating mechanics in that game that were not in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 or 2 that they added in 3 and 4 and Underground uh, that allow you to have longer combos and do certain tricks that just weren't available before or customizing your own tricks. That's stuff that was added in later games and they applied that to the originals. So that's mm-hmm. even though like, even though it feels like I'm playing what that's what a good remake or remaster is kind of makes you feel like the game you thought you were playing 10, 20 years ago. And that's what Tony Hawk did. But it, then if you go back and look at footage of Tony Hawk's pro skater one, like, Oh, I can't do like half the things I can do with this remake. Well, that's an interesting point, too, of what does it feel like? And maybe that's why Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I agree, very clever marketing plan. I think somebody in our our site chat, I want to say it was Kay, Sylvie was saying that part of the reason that Final Fantasy VII Remake can get away with it is because some of that plot about Aerith was sort of mythologized. I mean, I knew about Aerith, even though I didn't have a PlayStation. I knew about it. Like, I knew about it, and I felt really cool that I knew about sort of these, like, this devastating plot moment. Part of the reason they can get away with making it 
similar but different and like make you excited and take a what i guess in the original game is what like a like an hour or two of the beginning and make it into its own 30 hour game they can do that because of the legacy that it's had which i thought was a really brilliant point um but sort of to that point sam of just what does it feel like you're playing does it feel like you're playing that game just even better like as you remember it or is it that you actually are kind of playing it because i brought up as a as a great remaster the mass effect legendary edition i think is a great remaster in that it pulls together all of these dlc that were sort of annoying to to be able to find like i remember i got into mass effect kind of late as a series and it was difficult to be able to buy some of those dlc but now they're all in one package it is really smooth together it all comes from one menu it's so satisfying but it's it's 100 percent the same game like they're all the same game but it's it's nice that they're all in one place and you know the graphics the textures are nice um but i think that's i don't know i i bring that up just to say like it still feels as good as i remember it being but partially because it is like it's the same game you know and david i know that you have thoughts on maybe metroid prime as an example hmm. yeah i it's interesting um because i recently funny enough I, I i played metroid prime one like during at the right at the beginning of the pandemic i never like played it through from beginning to end so it was a, kind of a bummer when nintendo announced the remaster because i knew i probably wasn't going to play it again but i am very glad to hear that by and large, Retro did kind of an above average, like a, a, a good job on not just doing the bare minimum. I think it's easier. It's easy. And I think we saw this, especially during like the PS3, maybe early PS4 era, where a lot of studios were just putting out the same game because they could. And I think it, they do like remasters, especially um, in this age where we're increasingly going away from physical games to digital storefronts. And then those storefronts are disappearing, right? We're seeing, we saw that with the eShop when you were writing, covering that extensively, Sam. Um, it's an easy way to make games like accessible to all new audiences. And also there's a degree of like, shoot, I have to grab this because my old hardware is obsolete or I, you know, I sold my old console and now I can't access this. And so um, I don't know, like I, I think it's great that these games are getting like a little bit of new life. Um, but I do definitely love, I definitely appreciate when a developer goes kind of the added mile to do kind of more of the remake treatment. Um, and I, I do think it's a good point, Sam, that you make about say the difference between like a wind waker and a Link's awakening. Um, I, I I'm kind of at the stage of where I'm playing games where I think when I'm looking back, when I think about truly seminal um, remakes or, or kind of remakes, reimaginings, do I look back on that game and feel like it's a separate experience? Like, do I like it as a standalone experience, like relative to the, to the source material? Like, can I look at them both and think they're both really interesting experiences and different enough that I would both have them on like a personal top, say 50 or top mm. 100 ranking? That's how I look at like seven remake. I'm like, yep, like I love seven remake. It's like maybe a top five Final Fantasy game for me, but seven's still higher. Like I, but I like them both for different reasons. Whereas that's totally fair. Link's Awakening, that's an example of, I think I played a little bit of the original Link's Awakening and I love Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, but I don't know after playing the Switch version if I would like be dying to go back to the original just because I think the gameplay wise, everything is just kind like very, very one to one, like very faithful. Um, mm -hmm. 
So I don't know. I think there's, I think some people really appreciate the faithfulness of some of these really, really strong um, remakes. And at the same time, I think some developers like Square Enix, again, um, are recognizing that you can play with those expectations to really uh, satisfying effect. Yeah. And that actually brings me back. These examples are really good. They bring me back to what Amanda brought up earlier of how we keep just kind of recycling things right? Uh, in every medium, really, except I guess literature. You just, if you wrote, you know, crime and punishment, every time you go to the bookstore, it, maybe it's a new edition, but it's the same book. Um, I think about how like King Kong has been made, remade like three different times. Like, <laughs> of King Kong and what there's the one with Jack Black and there's one with Jeff Bridges in the sixties. Uh, but, and then we still have like Kong Skull Island. We can't get away from King Kong that we just kind of figured out early on in cinema that people like seeing a really large ape, uh, <laughs> it, it, whether it's practical effects or CGI. Uh, but I was thinking with Mass Effect, that to me is such an interesting example because I played all of the Legendary Edition like a year and a half ago. And I, at any point before that Legendary Edition came out, could have played all three of the original Mass Effect games on Xbox Game Pass. But I didn't. I waited for the remaster. Uh, well, really, I waited until the remaster was cheaper. But I, <laughs> I waited for the remaster, and I just kind of got, got EA determined, hey, what if we just kind of gave you something you can already access again? What if we just made you pay for it again? And that's sometimes a risk that comes with the desire for more remakes and remasters. Is sometimes I feel like, we kind of just want to buy something again. Uh, and in some cases, they, these companies actually do really, you know, sneaky, dastardly things. Like uh, Rockstar took down all of the PC versions of the old Grand Theft Auto games before they released GTA Trilogy, which is a, a set of terrible remakes <laughs> that everyone hated, that updated the, the gameplay in ways that no one liked and didn't really give enough of a visual overhaul to matter and released a Switch version that barely worked but people still kind of wanted to buy it. There, there was still a desire for, you know, I've already played Vice City and San Andreas. What if I could just buy them and play them again? And so that's kind of how I feel about when I see the Super Mario RPG remake coming soon, where I'm excited about it, I want to play it, but what I'd like more is if Nintendo just put the original on the on eShop or, or on Nintendo Switch Online, like they're they're intentionally deciding that you're not doing that. That you gotta you gotta buy it again, um, and it, it also came up recently for me when I was I decided to replay some of the old Gears of War games on Xbox and, and Gears of War Two, uh, which is only released on Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, uh, automatically gets uh, enhanced on Series X. It automatically goes to sixty frames per second. The graphics are a lot smoother and clearer, and so I guess I I don't need a remaster of that. But if Xbox released the Gears of War. Marcus Phoenix collection, the way they did with Halo Master Chief collection, I would want to play that for some reason. I don't know. Is that is that the, the, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Do you, do you guys totally. have to I mean, <laughs> I think there's a couple of things going on, right? Where there's the it's capitalism at play, right? Where they are banking on our nostalgia, um, and maybe if we're trying to give these companies credit of like they're they're paying homage to this thing that we love and they're taking care of it and really nurturing it and loving it and like putting it in this package you know like that that then they're gonna make it play better like i remember with mass effect um legend edition i had put a list on the site on, on punish backlog being like here's five things i love about the originals and here's five things i would hope they would change and internally i remember david saying something like 
that's a nice, that's a nice list. And I was like, oh, I don't think they're going to do any of this. I wish they would though. Like there's a lot of combat in Mass Effect 1 that is, is it's the worst that is, it is in the series. It's pretty easy to bounce off of in some points. There's the driving of the Mako, which is this car that you drive around the moon on and things like that. A lot of it just is frustrating. And we talk, we've been talking about controls and mechanics a little bit where there were some of those things where I thought, wow, you didn't want to touch that source code at all. You you were just fine leaving it like that. Like you're gonna you're just gonna resell me that. And so some of that is that they're bank they're banking on us wanting to replay it. And you know, for someone like me who's played the Mass Effect series multiple times, Legendary Edition was a great excuse. Like, oh, of course I'll like replay all the things. Or maybe that's how you felt about the Halo Master Chief collection. Like, of course, of course I'm gonna what a great excuse to have to play these games again. Um, and so we we keep buying them. Or even we're talking about these movies. Um I actually, you know what, I'm not gonna talk about movies. I want to talk about Pokemon. I was just talking to my younger cousin, he's 12, and he I was playing Pokemon Scarlet and he was playing Pokemon Violet. We we're just like running around, like, you know, battling fletchlings or whatever. And he goes, Oh, how many gym leaders have you, have you fought in this game? And I go, none. Like I'm mostly playing this to like hang out with you. Like I'm just enjoying, I'm chilling. And he goes, Oh, like you haven't beat any gym leaders. And I go, well, no, I, I've beat gym leaders in Pokemon red, blue, yellow, like Sapphire, Ruby, gold, silver, crystal, like all of these games that be like, I already had that feeling of, I went on the adventure. Like that's a game where, you know, Pokemon, the Pokemon company and Nintendo, it's essentially the same game that they kept making. They kept changing it. Like, I don't want to anger the Pokemon diehards. Like they evolved it, but it's the same general principle. And so it's interesting that even like the Pokemon company releasing versions of heart gold, soul silver, where they're making changes. They're, they're adding things, they're changing little songs. They're adding a couple new mechanics, but essentially that's that same game. And so it now can serve two audiences of people, someone like me who played those games. And, and, and I think you guys as well as younger people, and then selling them to kids now who, just want more Pokemon games. And they're like, oh, you want more? Oh, we've got more. We've got some more in the bank. <laughs> Let's just go. I'll go to the archives and just, da, 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 here you go. Brand new game. You know, I'm like, I, I've played that before. <laughs> like, So I don't know. It's a couple myriad of thoughts in response to that, Sam. But I, I do, I recognize what you're saying of the, the thing of like, oh, there, there's some intentional machinations of companies and e-stores of what they're allowing to be available and when, which is its own messy Topic. It's a messy, messy topic, and, I, and I, I failed to mention this before. I am the old games guy at Punish Backlog, so this is something I think about all the time. Uh, but David, when you, when you mentioned like Metroid Prime Remastered, yeah. another thing that that I think about, but with that game is, I didn't really like Metroid Prime originally when it came out on GameCube, mm. but when I played on the remastered version, they updated the controls a little bit. Then all of a sudden it became a much, obviously I've right. changed a lot as someone who plays games. That was game came out 20 years ago, but sure, that could be the positive side. Uh, I mean, there's some obvious positive sides, but as Amanda was talking about, you know, maybe your cousin doesn't want to play Pokemon Gold from a, the Game Boy Color game from 1999, but maybe they'll want to play Heart Gold on the DS or if they make Gold again as like a right. Pokemon Let's Go Togepi. Totally. That in, in a more modern case maybe they'll get to ex you 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 and your cousin can experience something similar exactly which is sort of sort of special and magical in its own way be like oh like this was the special pokemon of this game and now you've seen it too 
Totally. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, David. So I was just going to add, it's funny because you bring up, I think it's a good example um, with Metroid Prime breathing new life into that game. If there's one game that I think deserves some kind of remaster, if not a remake, um, and I'm surprised we haven't gotten it, it's Super Metroid, because I remember playing that game semi-recently, you know, within the past five to seven years, and being kind of turned off from the game because of the control scheme. Like, I felt like everything about the game checked in with, checked, you know, check the box in terms of what I've been hearing from people as to why it's, you know, within their top five games ever, right? It has the atmosphere. It's got the music. It's, it's just, it's got the art style. Everything about it is so sublime. And then the controls for me, I felt like I was fighting it throughout. And I think, you know, we've seen that uh, kind of with, uh, honestly, Capcom's been doing a, a stellar job with all of their um, Resident Evil games where some of those games are like borderline, unplayable um, if you were to go back and play the tank <laughs> controls of the, the older Resident Evil games and then being able to breathe complete fresh new life into that. But it doesn't even have to go that far, right? Like something as simple as updating. I know Met Super Metroid has like a fan mod that tweaks or updates the control scheme. And a lot of people swear by that version of the game. So you can also um, you can remap buttons in the original. I think oh, you could. I think before you uh, before you select game, not well, after mm. you've already started. All right. But people are lazy, Sam. This is not, <laughs> this is not <laughs> the point. I'm really glad that you brought up Super Metroid because I, I, I'm I, sorry, I wholeheartedly disagree that it needs a remake. Um, because An update. Uh, like maybe a, a an update. control update. Well, but here's the thing. So like, and this is another thing that kind of concerns me when I hear some remakes. When I hear about mm -hmm. some suggestions for remakes. I'm someone who loves the Super Nintendo and loves so many of these games and loves the way they look and the way they sound. Right. And every now and then someone will do like a, I'll see some video on YouTube of a Donkey Kong Country 2 remake that has full 3D assets, not yeah, pre-rendered nah. backgrounds. And I think it looks hideous. And I, I, it makes me sick looking at it. I hate it so much. If you made that video, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I hate you. Uh, <laughs> but that's the thing is like, there's a yeah. certain point where I where I'm always concerned that the remaster, the remake, the update will replace the original, and I, I always think they should just both exist side by side. Like Resident Evil Four remake does not eliminate the GameCube Resident Evil Four game that I still have with me that I played just a few months ago again, and I right. still think holds up. And it's yeah, it's wonky by modern standards, but at a certain point, we're trying to tell you that the past sucked. That's what these remakes sometimes do, and I don't agree with that and I don't like it. Yeah, we can disagree on specifically Super Metroid, but I, I've heard people say they want like a, a Link's Awakening style remaster of A Link to the Past and that game is perfect. It's still it's still a perfect game. What would you possibly want different about it? Do you want just like shinier graphics? Like do you just want a, you know, a little spit polish right. and, and maybe like maybe a couple more save points or something? Like, like I just feel like we're disrespecting the past sometimes. I, I think that's where the line is though. I think that um, a remaster... I think a remaster should be within the definition of just updating and making it accessible. So that's why I agree with you. That's why I say I prefaced what I say about Super Metroid to say everything about the game is brilliant. I can see the brilliance. And I don't think I agree with you. I, I was looking at like um, a fan project about um, Final Fantasy IX. Uh, I think it was the, it's called the Materia Project, I believe. And like, no offense, I'm sure people put in a lot of work on that. I'm not going to, you know, dog it. But like, it's it's you can kind of tell when something's a fan project versus when it's got the resources and the publishing might to really do it. Cause Square Enix is working on a final fantasy nine remake and I'm sure it's going to be quite good. And I'm sure it's going to live alongside the original final fantasy nine as a memorable experience. But I think that's, that's the line. Like I think if you're making a remake, 
you have to know that you have to have the expectation that that game is going to not, as you said, not replace the game, but make it just a different experience that will resonate with a new audience or, or even people who appreciated the older games. And I think we're seeing that that push even more nowadays with the PlayStation 5 Xbox Series Gen, where I, I think you covered a lot of different um, examples of this, Sam. Like we, um, I think uh, Jedi Fallen Order, right? When it got kind of like a next gen or current gen update, right? A lot of these games now you can put in Witcher 3. And it- uh, Yeah, it I loads, actually have thoughts on that, yeah. Totally, right? Like it loads up like faster- up, they, uh, CD Projekt Red keeps updating the visuals, like the grass textures and stuff. So, like, I think the line is blurring, or it's getting harder for people to, for publishers to get away with just like a sloppy uh, remaster, or where they, or, or they they pawn it off as like a sixty dollar upgrade, right? Where um, a lot of that is now table stakes for a lot of um, console gamers. And then if you're on PC, I think it's kind of always been table stakes. Like if you own something on Steam and something gets a pseudo re-release. Sometimes you get it just for free. So I, mm -hmm. I think you, you really have to, to to think if you're a publisher on whether or not you're going to update a game and, and you have to do it kind of with tact. Well, this is, I mean, I would really like to hear your guys' thoughts on this because I'm playing The Witcher 3 now and I, I tried it when it first came out and I bounced off of it pretty hard. Like, I think for a variety of reasons, I didn't find Gerald a personally, I think he just reminded me of a lot of men I worked with who were like, oh, I'm a tough guy, I'm so funny. And I just was like, not feeling it. But most of all, I remember trying to fight and I found the mechanics and the controls to be like baffling with how frustrating they were. Like I hated that there were like oils and potions and signs and like also heart attacks. And it just, it took to be able to fight. And this was a problem that the first Mass Effect also had, which is that when you were in combat, you were constantly going into pause menus to do stuff. And it just, it really frustrated me. And, but I, I knew that The Winter 3 was this sort of famously great game. And everyone I knew was like, you love these kinds of games. Like you're gonna love this. And so when I finally got a PS5, um, I knew that they had done, I knew that CD Projekt Rekt had done this big free upgrade. And, you know, as long as you have the game, it's, if you get it on that version of the platform, it was going to come with these updated graphics and visuals, but especially controls and I've been playing it and loving it. Like it's a totally, to me, it feels like a completely different game than what I remember, even though I know it's the same game, it's the controls did make that much of an impact for me. And, and that was a place where I think that the developers have said, we love this, we love this product, we love this IP, we're gonna put a lot of love into it. And I mean, that game came out a while ago and they're still working on it, right? But then in comparison, I wanna bring up The Last of Us Part One getting a remaster, which I found ridiculous. I it, it really annoyed me. And I don't know if it's just that I, like, I don't know what about it upset me so much, but it's a game that came out just now, 10 years ago. And I'm like, really? This game was like one of the best selling games of all time. And like, I get it, Ellie, you know, and other zombies and all the things like they do look nicer, but I'm like, that's what you spent time and money on was making the same game, like look different. And then you sold it again for the same price. Like to me, that frustrated me. So I'd be curious what y'all think, especially because I think both of you are much more fond of The Last of Us. Well, than I. Can I just add, they did it twice, right? Like they, they did yeah. a remaster <laughs> in, 20, in 20, what was it? 2014, one year after the game came out, they did a remaster for PS4. And, and then they remaster. did what they're calling a remake, but it's really, again, a remaster. That PS4 remaster is backward. You can play it on PS5 too. So the, the PS5 right. version is superfluous. Exactly. You can still play these games later. Yeah. I don't and that's I, right. So yeah, no, I, I felt the same way as you, Amanda. And I've, I've reported, there's some reports that 
Horizon Zero Dawn is getting a PS5 remake, and that even The Last of Us Part Two is going to get a remaster. Yeah. Yeah. Like that to me is where that no matter this isn't a commentary on the actual developers, but like it just feels like a cash grab. It feels like yes, yeah, you know, and, and that's why it feels kind of like slop. It kind of feels like uh, like you're. I know you don't want to talk about movies, Amanda, but like every single Disney live action remake I have seen is awful. Is yeah, terrible. like I don't, and it's like it's a, so frustrating. And they just and they they don't look good. They don't. They're expensive for no reason. They're the actors are like they get a lot, a lot of big names for some of these, and I don't know why. It doesn't matter. Yeah, for what you know, I for what? no, I totally, totally, I I totally agree, and I think um like I we have we've written a couple of pieces on the site about the shortcomings of Horizon Forbidden West, and I would say Horizon Zero Dawn was. I, I love that game. I, I know it's not perfect, but it had this really strong femme hero. I loved robot dinosaurs. The world was beautiful. It actually, like, it was one of these big open world maps, but it actually had a plot, which was, you know, great. And I, I really enjoyed. And I had a really high hopes for Horizon Forbidden West. And there are just so many problems with it. Like, it looks gorgeous. Combat's still fun. But the plot, the story, is the writing just feels a lot weaker. And I'm looking at it and looking at the work that went into that versus, and then hearing, oh, they're working on this remaster of Horizon Zero Dawn. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what? Like, what labor? What money? Like, even if it's not the exact same people that were working on Project X to Project Y, you know, a studio can only produce so much work. And so uh, it just, I find it baffling and the cash grab thing just rubs me the wrong way um from from various studios that are doing or in publishers probably really well a lot of a lot of good thoughts here and i think uh we'll table this discussion for later as well and uh take a break come back and uh introduce you all to a new segment Ooh. All right, welcome back to Punish Podcast. Uh, if you were listening to our excellent conversation on remakes, we got more for you coming up in future episodes on topics such as that. Uh, for this episode, I wanted to introduce you all to the Punished Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> something I introduced a few years ago. Uh, I want all of the contributors to the Punished Backlog to name and induct some of their favorite games and consoles and franchises to our hall of fame. Instead of making, you know, a top 10, top 20 list, everyone gets a chance to tell you what really matters to them in games and what deserves celebration. Uh, for some previous examples, uh, three of us did a chat on the Xbox 360. Uh, I've written about uh, Titanfall 2 and Donkey Kong Country 2. I believe the two of you talked about uh, the return of the Obra Dinn. Uh, that's an excellent game, absolutely worthy of hall of fame induction. Uh, but for today, for today, I'm inducting the Nintendo DS. DS, 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 DS. So I'll stop doing sound effects now. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, I like the sound effects. Uh, the Nintendo DS is, it's weird. It's not my favorite Nintendo platform, but it's the best example of Nintendo striking balance between simple and complex games, between casual and hardcore titles, uh, gimmicky and classic controls. You kind of could just do anything on the DS. It it, it had this promise to it and that it actually achieved, as opposed to the Wii, which I love the Wii, but but it's not like the Wii had quote-unquote normal games on it. Uh, and the other way is the GameCube had 
you know, weird games, but not a lot of weird concepts inherently. Uh, so the Nintendo DS got, had both. You could play something like Elite Beat Agents, you know, this this tapping rhythm game, or you could play just Mario Kart DS, which is just a really good Mario Kart. You could play Hotel Dusk, Room 215, uh, this puzzle adventure game. Or you could play Contra 4, you know, a, a classic shoot 'em up that uses both screens in, in creative ways. Um, yeah, so that's it's one of my favorite platforms. It was so creative, and every single person who has a DS, and as we'll go into, there are many people that have a DS. Everyone has different all-time favorites that are DS games, and I like that we don't all have the same list. So uh, I mentioned uh, Hotel Dusk. David, you're the person who has sung that game's praises for years. Uh, what's your view of the Nintendo DS and that game and, and everything about its legacy? Totally. So I have the notes here, and I feel like I'm, you know, Stephen A. or Max Kellerman doing my kind of first take notes. Um, I, For me, the, the DS just strikes all the boxes, right? So if you look at lifetime uh, console sales, console slash handheld sales, the DS is second only to the PlayStation 2, and it's trailing by a million units. I don't know the last time that those that sales data was updated. Wouldn't surprise me if it's even closer than that. Um, but regardless, like, chances are if someone's played a video game before, maybe don't count mobile phones. But outside of that, if someone's played a video game, chances are it was on a PS2 or a DS. That's the greatest likelihood. Um, people had these things in their homes, um, just like people have Switch now. Switch is at 125 million. So very, very popular handheld. And I think I, I agree totally with what you're saying about the Wii, right? The Wii, uh, the motion controls are a novelty at, at best, right? They're not, it doesn't really enhance with the exception of some games, the vast majority of the, I would argue that the Wii's motion controls, you know, really didn't add too much to the experience. And I think that's why you've seen, despite the fact that the Switch can support motion controls, virtually no Switch games actually have motion controls. However, one console that I'd love to highlight is the Wii U, which, you know, love it or hate it, the asymmetry that that gamepad device had added a lot of interesting layers to the experience for certain when done correctly and for certain Wii U games. Now, what I like about the DS is that it kind of took the uh, the innovation of something like the Wii U, and it also enjoyed the mainstream appeal of something like the Wii and combined those two into a really small package. I, I can't remember what it launched at, but I, I want to say it was like 150 US dollars. Totally correct me if I'm wrong there, but very just a super innovative handheld, but the thing that really is, makes it ascend into that top tier status is just, as you said, the quality and quantity of experiences that you have. So on my list, I have the Mario and Luigi games, Phantom Hourglass. I'm not going to say um, Spirit Tracks. I hate that game. Dragon Quest Nine, Metroid Prime Hunters, the Professor Layden series, the Phoenix Wright series, Grand Theft Auto, Chinatown Wars. You had Ports out the wazoo so you had chrono trigger which is where i first played the game was on the ds and i love that um you know that i guess that's a well is it a remaster it's just a port and mario 64 ds was where i experienced mario 64 and i had a blast there with all the added little mini games but then as you you alluded to hotel dusk i've got my personal trio my holy trio for the ds and that's the world ends with you an awesome action rpg game from square enix that got a sequel on ps4 um and switch uh Neo, The World Ends With You, still have to finish my playthrough of that, but I love the original game. 999, Nine Persons, Nine Hours, Nine Doors, or some variation of that. Amazing visual novel game that everyone who likes any kind of like horror, 
um, or just kind of like escape room, like creepy escape room vibes. You got to play 999, one of the greatest visual novels of all time. And then you have Hotel Dusk, which is, again, maybe not. Those three are my three favorite DS games, probably. Um, but a Hotel Dusk just has its charm. And it's one of those games that no one's played outside of this inner circle right here. Everyone here has played it or is playing it. And it's just such a phenomenal game. And I think what makes it interesting for a discussion on the DS is it's one of the games that used the DS in a really novel way. You actually turned the DS screen sideways and held it like a book. And you experienced the entire game with, you know, on the left side, you would navigate uh, through this, you know, this uh, kind of dilapidated uh, motel. And on the right side, you would kind of advance the dialogue. You'd read, you know, that you'd knock on people's doors and, and read their stories. But it was just a really inventive way to use the DS. And I'm sure you, both of you have so many different stories of using the DS in very novel ways, whether it's the microphone or the touch controls. There's just so much to go into. But that's that's what stood out for me uh, growing up with that with that handheld. No, that's perfect. And actually leads into what I wanted to say, which is that I, I love the touchscreen um, and I love the microphone aspect. Um, and there was a game franchise in particular that made me think of both, which is Nintendogs, uh, which I know are one of our, another contributor on our site, Sabrina Anderson loves. Um, but Nintendogs was um, a really big series in that the DS was one of the, it really enlarged the audience of female gamers. I want to get a little into the data weeds here for a minute. To date, Nintendogs have sold a combined 23.96 million copies worldwide, which make which makes it the second highest selling game on the Nintendo DS behind New Super Mario Bros at 30.80 million pieces. Um, and I want to bring this up especially because Nintendo also reported that the majority of Nintendogs buyers were female and Nintendo reported in 2006 that 44% of Nintendo DS owners were female. Um, and this was covered extensively in a great piece um, from that same year at pocketgamer.com, which we'll link in the show notes by John Jordan, entitled How DS Created a New Generation of Girl Gamers. Um, I personally got started gaming prior to the Nintendo DS, but I wanted to bring it up because as part of its legacy and in our recognition of it, is that the Nintendo DS as a platform and its games invited and welcomed in more kinds of gamers. And it kind of, I think, I just want to recognize that it was an inclusive thing and that it, these games were exciting to a group of people. Um, the DS was also notably um, the first Nintendo handhold console to literally drop the word boy from its name. Um, so that's another great credit to <laughs> being inclusive and even uh, one word choice. The 3DS launched in 2011 and, and it's an interesting comparison. I, I think it's an interesting platform because the 3DS was like the DS, but different. You know, I could just do more internet stuff and it had the, the three dimension function. And I remember getting to a point and thinking, I don't like my 3DS as much as I liked my DS. Like I liked the weight of the DS. I liked being able to hold it, read my little book hotel desk version. I liked calling my dogs on the microphone with, um, with Nintendogs and being able to like pet them and they would like scratch their little head and they'd be like, mm, that was so good. Um, I remember the first time I played Ace Attorney, uh, Phoenix Wright, and, you know, it asks you at the end of solving a case to yell objection. And I remember being in public and being like so embarrassed. And I remember leaning over and being like, I'm not trying <laughs> and it was but it was delightful um there was another game um another like i love seeing they use this word weird like there, there are all these weird little games that like people could play and like hotel dusk and in two, room 215 and be like did anyone else play this game am i crazy was this a fever dream like there was these games lost in blue that i loved where you were 
you know, two kids, like two teens, like abandoned on this like island from a shipwreck and you're trying to survive. And it's like a survival game with, you know, pretty detailed stats of like food, water, rest, and being able to like talk to each other and trying to build things. I remember one thing in particular was that you would use the touchscreen to make a fire, to whittle the fire, but then you also had to blow in the microphone and it would like catch the air. And I remember thinking, that's insane. Like, I can't believe that it knows that I'm doing that. Um, and so I think there were weird games that embraced the weird, functionality that the DS could offer um, in a way that I don't know if any of these other platforms that we've had since have taken the risk to be like, I'm going to try to do a weird thing. Um, and so I remember the DS very fondly. I, I know exactly where mine is still because I'm like, I love you. I'm going to keep you safe in this little box. Yeah. And I think some other really important notes about the DS, I believe it was the first Nintendo platform that had built in Wi-Fi. Um, so you oh, yeah. play online and also it had a uh, download play, which is one of my favorite functions where, uh, if two people have a DS and one of them has, for example, Mario Kart, but the other one doesn't, you can just both play Mario Kart through Wi-Fi. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. So like, it was this really social thing as well. I mean, like normally handhelds were the opposite of that, except for, I guess, link cables and Pokemon, but it got to be like, or I could take my DS downtown to visit uh, a friend of mine who was also really into the ds and we could just like you know trade pokemon or or play mario kart or, or even play like the mini games in mario super mario 64 ds uh yeah it, it's a lot of fun and i also think the ds came at exactly the right time for a console like that because just a few years later the iphone would come out and mm. mobile yeah. gaming would take over and casual gaming would, would take over totally. and the ds was the last time that casual gaming still felt like it had very high quality releases if that makes sense this might be unfair but now it's all free to play it's all these sort of gotcha grindy games whereas on the ds you be like, okay you're you pay 25 dollars and you get clubhouse games or you get brain age or big brain academy or tetris ds or planet puzzle league and these games that are really easy to to, to learn and to understand and to get good at but also have a lot of depth to them have a lot of care into their design um it was just the excuse me. It was just the casual audience for the quote unquote hardcore gamers because this was around the time that the 360 and the PS3 were kind of create making people into gatekeepers uh, with like really violent, really intense games. You could get Contra Four, you could get Castlevania games, you can get tons of Final Fantasy games on the DS, so that literally everyone who had a DS could have any kind of game they wanted. It's the only video game platform I could think of, other than maybe the PlayStation Two that really was for everyone in a way that yeah. was successful, that it brought people in and attracted people who were already in. And I think that's, that's wor as worthy of the hall of fame as, as anything really. Yeah. We were talking earlier about the preservation of games. Um, Nintendo DS, you could play Game Boy Advance games on it. And which was especially weird because those cartridges, if you look them up, the Game Boy Advance cartridge was like, blocky as all heck <laughs> like and it was like that thick rectangle and it was sort of this heavy thing they would like jam in there and ds you know they would be these little sort of you know kind of memory card shape little devices and the fact that they included that i remember thinking oh all consoles should be able to do that and it what it did that i appreciated was that it taught me as a, a young gamer 
you should expect platforms to be able to do backwards compatibility. You should expect, which is so funny, especially that it's Nintendo, which is famously not great at this now, but this expectation that, yeah, like you, you did, you did have that game and you're going to want to play it again. And so we're going to make sure that we think of ways that you can keep carrying it over. Um, and I found that especially sort of inspiring given that I know that shape isn't everything, but I mean, like the technology is so different. It's one thing to be able to put a disc in an old disc and put it in a, a Blu-ray player and be like, yeah, it, it's still a disc. Like it still does disc stuff, but these are cartridges that were wildly different and, and having to build separate ports um, I appreciated that that was intentionally done. Yeah, uh, love it. Love all the thoughts. Um, all right, I think that's all we got for this topic. Amanda, you want to give us the outro and uh, tease the next episode? Yes. Um, so to start um, our our outro, um, well, I have a quick question, which is, um, what are you playing right now that you are enjoying? I already said I've been playing The Witcher 3, and been really enjoying it although every side quest is really sad and like really stressing me out um i just played wild at heart uh which is in velen and has a werewolf and it gets very emotional um what are you guys playing right now uh i'm like i said back into the gears of war series um i would say mechanically it holds up beautifully uh the writing less so but uh it's still a great game I, i'm having a great time david yeah, I am uh, playing a game that we actually just reviewed on the site, uh, Dave the Diver. I'm I'm playing my own copy of the game and loving it. I am finishing up a playthrough of uh, Smushy Come Home, which uh, we're also planning on covering a little later uh, on the site. Uh, just a lot of really interesting, um, smaller style games. Maybe eventually I'll get to get back to Tears of the Kingdom to wrap that up. Uh, and Final Fantasy 16, which I have thoughts on, but I definitely will not go on on a diatribe here. But uh, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of games, big and small. There's a, a lot of, and I got to get started on that summer on that summer backlog. I'm ashamed to say I have not made much progress. Yeah, we're doing a summer challenge for the group um, for the sites writers. We're all trying to play Signalis. Signalis. Um, it's quite creepy. Uh, but David's point actually brings me to our topic for next time. We're going to be talking about game length as sort of our main conversation. Um, giant games like Elden Ring, Tears of the Kingdom, um, but balancing that also with short games. Um, the role of side quests. How does that play into it? Do hours automatically equate to getting value? Do, are you able to start a game that you know is giant, you know, in a time of your life where you don't have time for it? Like Starfield, like, do, do you know you're going to be able to have the bandwidth for a giant game? All of these things we will discuss on our next episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye. All right. Peace out. Bye.